the exit podcast i'm joined here by johnny thomas johnny is the ceo of ventana tech which is a renewable energy company focused on helping households reduce their dependence on the power grid we wanted to have him on the show because he's liberty-minded and he's interested in helping people exit in a way that goes beyond just their professional situation so welcome to the show johnny thank you appreciate it appreciate your time so uh you've worn a lot of hats you started out in finance can you tell me about your first job and how you decided you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, so so the first time I, I got into uh, the professional world was to study and become a, and this is fresh out of college. It was while I was actually finishing college. I uh, studied and became a loan officer for a company um, in Utah and started doing mortgage loans. And quickly after two years of that, I realized that I was I needed to get out and do my own thing. I always tell people I'm too arrogant to listen to someone else, you know, just kind of as a joke. But um, so I, in, it was really 2001 that I started into that world for my first company, started doing mortgage financing. And then at the same time, building and flipping some homes and, and just doing all those kind of things in real estate. And then just throughout that, just kind of evolved my company into where I, you know, I was sending people to go get life insurance with other people when I figured I could do it myself. And then I was sending people to go get investment advice when I can do it myself. So I've since picked up the investment licenses and the life insurance licenses and, and rounded my company out into a full financial services suite. And that's, you know, that's been 20 plus years that I've been doing that so far. So entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial uh, quest is, is deep embedded in my soul. <laughs> I guess. You yeah. Could say. How much did your education benefit you from that? Like if you, if you could start it over and, and just do everything again, how much of your education would you have pursued or how much would you just sort of get, get the credentials or the training sort of uh, piecemeal? You, you know, um, I've had this conversation. It's interesting to me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my educational experience at, at Brigham Young University. I hold a linguistics degree, a bachelor's degree in linguistics, and it's done me no good in my professional life other than I can speak a few languages. And uh, but I could have done that on my own. The, an MBA I got uh, just just because my father um, kind of suggested that to me. And I will say this, the perception of credentials, uh, having degrees, uh, especially a, a postgraduate degree like an MBA, has really helped people in their trust. Because when it comes down to finances, it's about emotions and trust. Yeah. So hard, hard to say not that that hasn't helped me in the trust area, but as far as helping in my professional career. If I had to do it all over again, I would probably gone and got a CFP, a certified uh, financial uh, planner and gotten that. It's, it's like a nine month course and it's, it's as hard as a master's degree. And, and that's, that's got it. So I'm, I'm torn. I'm torn to the fact that, that if, if I, I'm in, I'm in a career where I, I don't need those credentials, but it has definitely helped me in some areas where people see, and Oh, MBA, you must be this, that, or the other, even though I'm the same person without that paper on my wall or with it. So yeah. Little torn on that. I, I don't think nowadays too. College is so expensive. I, I, you know, I have seven kids, and I'm not. I'm not telling them all go to college. I'd rather see them get work experience and and get a vocational degree or something like that rather than drop sixty to hundred grand on a meaningless piece of paper. Yeah. So you, I saw on your website, you you said that you decided early on that you're not going to do things you don't want to do. Now I spent right. my twenties grinding in an educational career path that I hated. 
because I thought that was what I had to do to raise a family. And, you know, it, it did end up paying well. I, I know from reading your blog that you believe in doing hard things. So how would you help somebody tell the difference between a good hard thing versus just like a meaningless hard thing? You know, great question, because it's so hard to know, you know, when you, when you read about the great entrepreneurs, the people that have changed the world, the Edisons, the Teslas, uh, Musk, um, Jobs, some, some of these people that have, that have really changed the world with technology, uh, sometimes they, it, it really kind of, kind of comes down to a gut feel of, is what I'm doing literally going to be able to change people's lives for the better? Because there is a humanitarian aspect in it on me that's pretty deep inside my psyche and in my ethos where I, I served a religious mission in South America. And so I saw grinding poverty. And so part of my, part of my outlook is look, if what I'm doing is going to help me be able to help other people, then if I have obstacles and I have things that are the kind of kicking me down, then those are the obstacles I need to plow through because those obstacles are going to make me stronger. So it, it all depends on, to me, it all depends on whether what you're doing is pushing you to be better and will allow you to help other people be better. And if it is, grind it, man. Go through those obstacles. So the, I, I'm a big believer in the Stoic stuff. Uh, you know, the, the Aurelius quote, the obstacle is the way. It's not, a, it's not the best way to, to treat it from the, from the original Greek, but it's basically saying, if you see an obstacle and, you're gonna, and you need to get to that other side, don't go around it, go through it, bust mm. it up and get it done because that'll teach you the greatest thing. So when you're looking for whether you should grind it out, look for whether grinding it out means you're going to be able to bless other people's lives at the same time as blessing you and your family's life. And then go do it. And don't be afraid of it. Tackle it head on and go. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience on my mission where that was basically the first time that I ever had a task that I really believed in. Mm. And um, I've said this before, but I, I, I uh, I was always, my, my self-perception was that I was just sort of lazy and um, unmotivated, but I had, you know, I had big dreams, big vision, you know, things that I cared deeply about. And there was always sort of like, why my, my you know, my parents, uh, mentors would be like, why is it so hard for you to just do your homework? Just, you know, you know, complete these tasks. And I didn't really have an answer until I went on the mission. I realized it was because I didn't actually care about any of that. I didn't have like a I didn't have like a purpose behind it. And so it was really hard for me to, um, to find the will. And um, yeah. I always envied people who, I always envied people who could do things that they, that they didn't really, that they weren't really passionate about because um, I thought that it made it easier for them to just sort of succeed. But as I'm getting older, I'm seeing a lot of those people who have been very successful, but without any compelling vision. And they're making money, but they're not happy and they're not frankly interesting. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and, and how do you, do, how do you define success? You say successful. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and, and successful in money. Yeah. There, there are people that have money, but you've, you've heard some of them say that there's, they're living some of the most bitter, unfulfilling lives. And yet I knew people like, like you, you know, I was in um, South America and Ecuador and I knew people that didn't have you know, anything to their name, but they were some of the happiest, most fulfilled people. And that really opened up my eyes to finding out, define success. Before you say they're successful, define success in your life. And if you define success as money, well, yeah, then that person might be successful. But if you define it as fulfilled and, and happy, they're, they're a failure. They're an abject failure. Yeah. And so doing what I want to do has been a focus. And then surrounding myself with people that encourage me 
to do what I want to do and what I want to do is good. That's how I become successful. And the yeah. money just comes along with it. I mean, I mean, I've been to the bottom in money. I've, I've, I've hit rock bottom and, and I'm doing well now, but, but money just comes along with it. When you open up your mind to, I'm going to be successful because I'm going to do what, what fulfills me and brings peace to other people. Yeah. And so this, the distinction between not doing what you want to do is, is the, the terminus of, yeah. of what it is, is, is that what you want? And, and I, I realized maybe four years into my corporate career that I didn't envy anybody that I worked with from the, from my boss to my boss's boss, <laughs> to the director, to the CEO. I didn't want to be any of those people. And it's like the reward for working hard in this environment is you get to be one of those people and you get to do more of this kind of work and the pay is better, but the hours are worse. <laughs> and, and if you just hate that job, yeah, that's, that's, that's not success. Um, yeah, good for you. That's, that's great to hear. I love, I love hearing like-minded people because I feel the same way. Well, I mean, good for me, but it took me, uh, you know, um, I, I had to be uh, forcibly expelled from that environment. <laughs> I didn't, um, I didn't choose to leave, um, which, you know, obviously that was yeah, a blessing. You still got, yeah, still got, yeah, there. you still got there, man. That's, that's okay. <laughs> you, you mentioned, um, your kids and, you know, uh, would you like them to go to college or not? Yeah. Not everybody's, not everybody's dream, um, for themselves is necessarily their dream for their kids. Do you feel like entrepreneurship is something that, you would encourage everybody to do, or is this like a certain type of person? So, so first of all, let me answer the, the kid question. I, we, we homeschool all seven, of our kids we have for 16 years. I have two children that have reached adult age um, and the rest are 17 and under. Um, I won't, I won't push them to do anything that they don't want to do. And college may or may not be in, in the future for all or none of them. I don't care. I want them to be successful in the way that I define success, which is fulfilled, happy, able to provide for their needs. So no, I won't, I won't push them to do any of it because I think college at this point is an indoctrination camp that costs a whole heck of a lot of money. And I'm, as I do mortgages and financial advice for people, I'm seeing people putting themselves in a hole that it takes literally year. I mean, sometimes decade, a debt more than decade to dig out of. Yeah. And think of all that wasted, wasted time. So no, I won't, I won't force that on them. Two of them have already shown um, my son that is 18. He's currently serving a mission right now in Arizona. He, before he went, he got his mortgage license and he's shown entrepreneurial ideas. Um, the next step I would say is that uh, my mom brought me up uh, reading and trying to understand the Briggs Meyer personality stuff. And then Jordan Peterson has a, has a website, understand, understanding myself where you figure out what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to work on your weaknesses all the time. It's simply knowing it and understanding that entrepreneurs can come, you know, in the Briggs Meyer world, there are, are four main types of personalities. And then each of those personalities are either introverted or extroverted. All four of them can be successful entrepreneurs, but you have to know yourself. And so my, myself, I'm, I, you know, in the Briggs Meyer, I'm an ENFP, uh, hey, me I'm too. a creative, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm a creative entrepreneur. And so I need to surround myself with people that build systems because systems for me are routine and it drives me crazy. Yes. 
and then and then but the system entrepreneur needs to surround himself with some creative people because that system entrepreneur will never think outside of the box and so i i think the most important part is yes i do i do encourage everyone to become an entrepreneur in something mm. and i don't care what it is just something if only for the tax breaks <laughs> you know <laughs> but um but to do something because it also pushes you to be a better person to there, there's a fine line between order and chaos and progress comes when you step into a little bit of chaos to push yourself. You mentioned homeschooling. What about that appeals to you? Why do you do it? Why do you encourage other people to do it? Um, homeschooling for us. And no, no, this is, this is for us. I do not, um, I don't judge in any way. I don't do anything, but homeschooling for us, th- these, these have been the fruits of our homeschool. First of all, we teach them what we know to be true. And um, so many people are worried about, well, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. Well, there are so many, so many things that you can, you can get online, so many tools and resources to help people. But what homeschooling has done is it has brought the focus that my wife, and, and she is amazing. <clears throat> um, she calls herself the hippie mama. You know, she's on uh, Instagram or whatever is the hippie mama. She is amazing because she does not teach the kids she teaches our kids to love learning mm. and they teach themselves. And so our children within a few years, I mean, I've got a four-year-old right now that is just, just stoked to wake up every morning, do his ABCs and he's learned words and he's starting to read at four. And, you know, most of, most of our kids, uh, my oldest boy is, is a voracious reader. By the time he was 10, he'd read the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. All of them have read things like Ivanhoe, Don Quixote. I mean, they, they, they study Latin and Greek, and then they have a, a language they want to learn, you know, Portuguese, Spanish, German, whatever. And so when you, but, but we haven't necessarily taught them all that. We've taught them the love of, of gathering education and learning and, and keeping that, you know, a little kid when they're learning something new has that spark of education that is just so infectious that we lose as we get older. And, and then the public schools just beat it out of us because you have to sit there for 13 hours a day while an authoritarian person says, do this, do that. And by the way, you can't go to bathroom until I say, and it's like, you know, we, we homeschool for three or four hours a day and our kids are so far ahead that, that the three oldest kids all graduated, finished their high school you know, age, and they either had a degree or a half a college done, you know, and they love it. So for us, it was homeschool has engendered a, an absolute love of learning. And that's continuing on into their adult lives where they're learning more and more things and keeping that infectious curiosity of a child. Uh, alive and well. Yeah. And the, the, the confidence to execute homeschooling as a parent, I, I, I brought a, a homeschooling friend of ours on the show a couple episodes ago and his, his pitch was basically, if you look at the outcomes from people who do like unschooling where they just don't, <laughs> they just make no effort at all. Um, Right. Even that is so close to what the public school outcomes are that you like, you almost can't mess it up. Like you, you Oh yeah. If you're, if you're actively trying to educate your kids, you're, they're going to be ahead of where they would be in public school, like basically guaranteed. And uh, oh, yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's, um, we, we've just started and uh, we, we don't really know what we're doing. And so like, I, I'd love to, I'm going to, I'm going to go follow your wife and and get her tips and tricks, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a fascinating um, world to be in. How do you organize that? So like you mentioned that your four-year-old is, is sort of teaching him himself. I can't remember 
to, to read yeah, himself, George. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, how do you attack that? How do you make that happen? Well, first of all, my mom back in the early eighties kind of started doing phonics. She taught me to read right before I was four. Um, she was, she was brilliant. And so she's taught phonics reading to all of us. And then my wife picked up on that from my mom. And so we've taught phonics to our kids ever since they were, and, and really what it is, is, you know, so some people, my, my wife always says that she says, people are so scared. They can't teach their kids. Said so you, you, you can teach a two-year-old to tie their shoes. You can teach him to stay out of the street. Why can't you teach him how to read? Reading's easy. And so even though we've had some that read that are more difficult at learning to read and some that are easier, it's really just, it's not the curriculum. It's again, the love of learning. And so the four-year-old, <clears throat> the four-year-old gets going and he just wants to be like his, his older siblings and read, but it's because he loves to learn new things. And, and all kids have that. So the confidence, the confidence is that you teach your kids how to do stuff all day, every day. You teach them to eat. You teach them to brush their teeth. You teach them to get dressed. You teach them to, you know, whatever you do. When you walk in a parking lot, you hold hands. Whatever your rule that you teach them that. So why can't you just add a couple other things in? So when we're going down the road driving on a family vacation, we it's so funny. We point right now. We're down in southern Utah, in St. George, Utah, and the rocks around here are red. And if you ask, if you ask the question, why are the rocks red? All of them will talk about the iron and the oxidation and the, and the dirt and everything down here. And it's just because you just say it out loud. <laughs> just talk through it. You're teaching your kids as you go and they're picking it up. They're sponges. So have some confidence. And then, you know, at a certain point, I'm that ENFP personality. We're a bit, a little bit of a, we have a little bit of a Don Quixote in us where we think we can do, you know, I can do that type thing, you know? <laughs> so yeah. we, we, we latched onto that and, and the kids, you'll get it, man. It, yeah, not to plug, plug for my wife, but at the hippie mama, H-I-P-P-I-E-M-A-M-A. She's got some killer, I mean, some of the wisdom she drops, I, you know, I just kind of look back in awe because she's got so many kids that she's brought through. But yeah, she's got a lot of tips and things in there for people that are super hesitant, that have homeschool hesitancy. <laughs> yeah. Were. Yeah. Um, and it, maybe it is just um, well, the, the way that you teach your kids um, to brush their teeth and to eat and to do all those things is you, is you, you sort of just establish that this is what we're doing now. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so, yeah, maybe just setting aside the time that says this is reading time. We're just going to read. And maybe they start just sort of holding the book and looking at the pictures, but then you, you know, you kind of introduce as so much of it, like you're talking about the Iliad and the Odyssey and Don Quixote. And it, it's, it's, that's not a question of doing something special other than making those things available to them. Because I think, you know, a, a, a public school uh, curriculum just doesn't, it's not even on the radar. That's not even in the universe of what you're going to learn. And so, um, so yeah, just sort of making it available and setting aside time. Yeah. And, and then the, the other thing that Meg and I, my, my wife's name is Meg, Megan, uh, Meg. Um, the other thing we say all the time is just relax. You might have a kid that may not learn to read until the, my, my oldest boy, we, we, he just reading was not his strongest suit and he mm-hmm. wasn't doing it. And then as soon as he hit seven, it clicked. And by 10, he had read the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, he plowed through the Harry Potter series in less than two weeks and he remembers details. So, so if we had panicked or been in a public school mindset and he's seven, not reading very well, 
He would have been in resource. He would have been in these special classes. They would have worked with him and held him back. And instead of doing that, you just relax, step back, breathe. Everybody goes through and learns things on a different level and on a different speed, and it'll click. And then if you've got a kid that, that you just can't get him to sit still, good. That kid is going to change the world. So let, the, let that child get up and dance while they learn, which you can't do in public school. If you have, you know, you just can't do that. And so we've got, we've got a couple of kids that, um, Briggy, he's, he's 10. And when he's learning, if he can't figure something out, we, we have him go run. Yeah. And he runs and comes back and figures it out. It's just people have different ways of learning. So just relax. You got it. You can do this. Yeah, so much of so much of the school system is organized around the logistics of just controlling that many kids. And yeah, it it it, it can't be yeah. optimizing for educational outcomes because it has to be optimizing for just order, just basic like <laughs> you know, not making sure nothing's on fire and nobody's getting hurt, um, uh, which is a challenge at that scale. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a really good, uh, there's a gentleman, it's Sir Ken Price or something like that. He's an English guy that talks about it. There's a really good YouTube video on it about how public school was modeled after the Prussian military school. And it was designed to make um, children into soldiers and automatons that follow what they're told to do. And it just, and it just zaps creativity. So you're yeah. right. You're hundred percent right. The logistics, they, they, they just take away all chance to, to do what needs to be done in education. So that's, that's been our journey. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your wife's MBTI? If you don't mind my asking. MBTI? Uh, Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, she is actually, I believe she is an ENFJ. So we're kind of similar, but, okay. um, but she's a little more, I always tease her. She's a little more cold hearted than me. <laughs> <laughs> The reason I ask is because uh, in my life as an ENFP and as sort of a a head in the clouds kind of person, my wife has always been sort of my XO, you know, Uh managing the schedule, making sure that things happen on time. And I wonder if, if that's been the case for you of sort of shoring up each other's uh, weak, weak points that way. Very much so. Very much so. So, so if you, if you go follow her, she's got this thing. This has been one of the most amazing things, not only for our homeschool, but just for our family, because, you know, the logistics of seven, seven children. So nine people in a household are mind boggling. And so she came up with what we've been doing. We call family meeting. And then she came up with a calendar and we follow what we call the femsises, which is financial, emotional, mental, physical, social, and spiritual. And we go through our femsises and it's kind of a joke, you know, but she, she has formalized this into a family meeting calendar where you plan out your week, you review how you did on your financial life, your emotional life, your mental life, each child, and you allow them to speak up. And so she, you know, when we talk about systems, you know, I was talking about that earlier about finding people that can create systems around us. She very much is that yin to my yang, as far as my creativity versus her system oriented stuff. Uh, so yes, surround yourself with people that, that feel your weaknesses. Cause the other thing that we found that, that what happens in public school and in very many areas is people find your weaknesses and then make you work only on your weaknesses. Whereas if you could find a discipline that allows you to amplify your strengths, yeah, then your weaknesses get filled in. And so <laughs> rather than me be- trying to force myself to become a systems person, surround myself with people that can create systems for me 
that I can follow, but then allow my creativity to flourish. Well, then that system person feels fulfilled because they're creating systems. I'm creative. I'm fulfilled because I get to create and we go. And, and yeah. that's, yes, that has very much been my, my um, experience, just like you. And having a gift for bringing people together in itself, th- that allows for that alchemy to take place. And so a person like me, you know, my, my, my whole um, business right now is essentially bringing people together and helping them to make connections and coordinating that kind of uh, alchemy. And yeah. it's, it's been amazing how much, how much people crave that there are, there are things that like, that come, when, when something comes naturally to you and, and it seems easy, I, I think people tend to undervalue their strengths because they don't realize how much they can offer other people. They don't realize how uh, challenging the thing that comes naturally to them can be to other people. And so they may be they maybe hold back. They think it's obvious or something. It's not obvious. Um, and, and so yeah. You, yeah, you can, you can provide a ton of value that way. I completely agree. hundred percent with you. And, and if people would, people would focus on their strengths and focus like totally on their strengths and work a little bit on their weaknesses. It just, it just makes, makes everybody around them better. I completely agree with you. Yeah. So I want to, I want to move to, or, or sort of back to the, the business side of this, we have a lot of guys in our group who they own their job, but they haven't made the jump to owning a business. You know, they, they, they're independent in the sense that nobody signs their checks. Um, mm-hmm. But now they're, they're in, in this place, they want to do some empire building. So tell me about how that transition was for you, how you went from just sort of making money to your family to managing an enterprise. Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to come differently. In my experience, it's going to come differently to different people. Um, again, understanding yourself and how it works. Um, but it all comes from a mindset of, am I going to allow my outside control to control my life or am I going to control it? And it really comes from a little bit of a rebellious streak inside of me that wants to tell the world, you know, go pound sand because I can do more than you think I can. Mm. And so it's, it's building up a sense of, of confidence in yourself and in your abilities, even when it's sometimes unfounded. Um, <clears throat> you know, when, when I, before I, before I left on my mission, I, I was kind of, it was kind of a joke because I was not good with money. And I came back and when I told, initially told my parents, I was going to go into, to get loan, you know, get my, my loan officer or uh, sorry, my mortgage license. They kind of, they, they're always supportive of me, but they just kind of giggled like, really, you know? But it was more of that, I, I can show people, I can do something. That I'm, and so it's really, it's a mindset. It's, it's, it's a determination to have self, have control over yourself, to have your own autonomy, to be able to do what you need and can do. And ultimately, it's because the end, I, I, I'm a top-down thinker, so I think of the big picture first before our details overwhelm me. And the end of what I want to do is I want to get to the point in my life where what I do to provide for my family also blesses the lives of other people. Mm. That's how I found my fulfillment. And now I'm able to do that. I was able to set up my, my, I've always wanted to have a nonprofit. So I was finally able two years ago, set up my 501 C three. And part of my, you know, when we get into talking about our renewable energy stuff, part of that, everything I do in there goes into the 501 C three to bless other people's lives. And so it's really just, 
okay, I, I created a, st a stable base. So you do have to create a stable base. You can't be floating on everything and create a machine that does work. But then it's just like I talked before, that, that, that fine line between order and chaos. Okay, I've got some, a machine going and it's working well. Now it's time to put a little chaos in and go a little bit further and stretch myself. And that's progress. That's how you make yourself a better person. And so if you've got something, let's say you've got a job that you set up, you're a graphics designer, I, I don't know, just picking anything. And you've got jobs coming in, you've got a system, you've got things going. Okay, what's your true hobby? What's your true love? Well, I truly love um, motorcycles. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, whatever it is, expand, grow, step out into that chaos, step that one foot into darkness, one foot into where you still have your base and then progress and keep going and keep going. Um, I, I think I told you a little earlier, I'm a little bit of a language nerd and um, Hebrew Hebrew has a, a, a phrase that I've kind of co-opted and it's called, it says lech laha. And that's what, what God said to Abraham. And it, it kind of, it's hard to explain exactly what it means, but it means go, go you. And it really means get up and go, <laughs> just get going, quit, 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 quit hesitating, quit you know, there are details you have to do. Don't do something stupid. Don't take a financial risk that has, doesn't have a, a commensurate reward, but get up and go. And, and don't be afraid that, you know, failure, people, failure. I, I've found that failure does paralyze, but, but what really holds people back is they're deathly afraid of success. They're looking success in the face and saying, I don't know if I deserve it. I don't know if I, if I really should be able to, you know, I remember the first year I made a hundred thousand dollars and I, I literally, I remember it's $134,000 that I made. And, and I sat back and I looked at my tax return. I looked at my receipts and I thought, did I deserve this? That was, that was what was holding me back was my, my, my fear of success. Like I, like I wasn't a deserving person in this. And I thought, well, screw that. I, yeah, I deserve, <laughs> you know, I worked hard and, and I'm going to bless other people's lives. And from that day forward, I've just kind of kept going. So don't, don't be afraid to take that step into chaos because that's where you're going to progress. Yeah. And, and so as someone uh, like me, who is not a systems person, um, a big, a big part of the fear of scaling up for me, a, a big part of my anxiety about how big things can get is, will I be able to handle them administratively? Will I be able to keep all the plates spinning? Because, you know, uh, a, a person like you, person like me, we're, we're kind of like a, a scalpel or, or a laser. And it's like, I can attack one thing really hard at a time. And, you know, things tend to sort of crumble around me as I forget that they're there. Um, but, but I also, I look at sort of your, your resume and you've had lots of concurrent hustles, lots of different things going on at once how did you keep the plates spinning? How did you manage that? Um, well, first of, first of all, just like you, you and I probably in now today's day and age would be labeled ADHD, autistic, difficult, whatever, because <laughs> we, you, whether you like it or not, you have four or five plates spinning in your head yeah. and you can't stop them, right? There's, there's no way. What I'm saying is not only don't stop them, add two more plates. You, you have a lot to bring this world, man. I heard you on Tom Woods podcast and your idea is you have a lot to bring this world and you are important and you need to get your message out there. Thanks. Let, because the things that fall don't need to be there. I, you know, okay. I have my wife, my wife told me it took her 15 years to realize that when I come up with an, when I come home with an idea, 
that, um, that I just need to vocalize my idea. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, and so, um, <laughs> and my, and my buddies, some of my close, you know, high school friends, we're still really close now. They still, they tease me because some of the ideas I've done, I feel like, like Kramer on Seinfeld when he has so many ideas of businesses, you know, and that's, they kind of tease me about it, but the ones that fall are the ones that weren't going to fulfill you anyway. Yeah. So, so I'm not saying do it willy nilly, that if that's the, if that's the point that's coming across, that's then, then I've, I haven't explained myself well enough. What I'm saying is <clears throat> if you have this idea and you know, it can be fulfilling, you know, it can bless your life and the life of other people then you need to set up a system, whether it's software, whether it's a person, whether it's outsourcing to someone else to get those systems in place so that you have a track to run on and it's duplicatable. So, so for example, with my mortgage loans, I, I am not a, I'm a top-down thinker, details overwhelm me. But when you do a mortgage loan, they, they say that you have 72 different points of contact on one loan file when you add in underwriting, title, title assistant, insurance, blah, 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 you know, the whole list of people. Sure. And so I, I quickly had to learn how to do details, but to lump them into smaller packages so they didn't overwhelm me and then create a system whereby they could easily be fulfilled. But then once you get that system down, move on to your creative tasks. So focus, again, focus on your strengths to amplify your strengths. If you focus on your weaknesses, your weaknesses will be amplified. Yeah, no, I, I, the way that I made my corporate job bearable was I became the automation person and so, yeah, so I learned, I learned, um, I I never thought of myself as like a a math person or a code person, but I learned how to code to avoid routine. I I learned how to code so that I could kill, uh, repetitive processes and never have to do them again. And Ah, I love it, man. That turned out to be very valuable. And like, in the context of that corporate world, it was probably the most fulfilling task I could have done because basically I was killing, I was killing the corporate job, like kind of one, one stroke at a time. Like, uh, and, 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 you know, what I've, what I've pivoted here to is, is a much bigger picture sort of attack on that whole idea, but you can see the same philosophy of like, people shouldn't have to live this way. People shouldn't have to do this. This should be done by robots because it's yeah. robot work. It's soulless, mindless work. And, <laughs> there's a, there's a movie, uh, there's a movie called Snowpiercer where they've, it's this dystopian train. That's this really heavy handed, like class metaphor, but there's a scene toward the end where a, 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 tr- a component of the engine of the train no longer functions. And in order to keep the train running, because they can't repair that part, They've got a little kid who can fit in that compartment and his job is just to be that part. And it's, it's one of the, it's just this hellish image that really stuck wow. with me because it was exactly where I was at at my career when that movie came out. And yeah, so, so my, my mission then became, I'm going to find everybody who's, who's a human component in a machine and I'm going to build the part that gets them out. Oh man, I love it. <laughs> And so, I love uh, it. I, you know, I still, I still love some of that skill set, and there, there, you know, there's a part of me that that, that wants to still uh, chase that. Once this thing is uh, less demanding on my time, if it's ever less demanding on my time, I don't know how it's going to expand. But yeah, the the the, the philosophy is so always what, escape. Yeah, 
And, and one thing I would suggest too, that took me a long time. And I, I've learned this over years. It took me a long time is that don't be, and you have to get there gradually, but don't be afraid to pay for things to automate. So, so for a long, long time, I process my own loans because paying a processor, you typically pay a processor $350 a file. And it took me a long, long time to get to the point where I would pay that processor. And once I started paying the processor to do that, um, then all of a sudden I realized it opened up to be creative in my marketing. And then I created more income because I set, I, I set that system in place with a person who was a detailed oriented systems person. And that allowed me to go out and expand. So get to the point where you can pay for, pay for or set that automation aside and get to where you can focus on your strengths as fast as you can. And if I would have done that sooner, I would have been better off. That's what I've learned too. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's a piece of this business right now. That's kind of manual. There's lots of sort of sending boilerplate emails and updating spreadsheets and, you know, just sort of customer relationship management, just tracking the, the, uh, the gears of the of course. And, uh, I've already, I'm already at that point where I'm like, I, I need to ex outsource some of this because I'm, I'm finding how much more valuable the, the stuff I love to do is because that's what people are paying for. They're not paying for uh, me to manage a spreadsheet. <laughs> they're they're yeah. paying for like, a, there's a particular value proposition that they want. Um, and that I enjoy providing. And so like, stop being an idiot. I'm talking to myself right now. I'm, I'm, I'm actually sort of thinking this through, right. As we're, as we're talking. Um, yeah. Quit being an <laughs> it's idiot. a good therapy session, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a good therapy session for, for entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I guess, let me, let me just say this again. Let me say this again to you. What they're, the value proposition they're paying for is you, you're the entrepreneur. They want you, not your systems. They want your creativity. So give that to them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. In that vein, when I was, when I was working the corporate job, I always, I, I was sort of interested in entrepreneurship, but I've always been, I just kind of understood myself to be more of like a business minded leadership minded type of person. And it seemed like the corporate sphere was, was the place where that made money. I'm not particularly technical. And I was always waiting for like a longer lasting light bulb so, you know, some invention to pop into my head, some product that would, that would uh, disrupt a market. And then I would go, you know, sell that thing. Like me, you're a finance guy. You're, you're a, a, a people-minded, ideas-minded person. But what you sell right now is this innovative engineering product. So can you maybe tell me how you found that idea and how that got started? Yeah. So, so, um, it is, it is something that, again, my family and friends kind of tease me about because when it comes to swinging a hammer or building something, I'm about the most useless. I, I always tease my friends that can build stuff and they're kind of, you know, they'll once in a while complain like, I have to build this or do that. And I'm like, I always tease them like, so you haven't learned to be incompetent like me. I see. Okay. <laughs> um, but so I'm not that, but I can, I can dream and I can envision better than most. And so it was about 10 years ago, uh, as I was kind of branching out with some, some close friends of mine, they brought to me a project where they had a small wind turbine that had been patented and used for a certain number of years. And it was very efficient and it was very small. And 
they brought the project and said, hey, let's get some funding for this because I was a financial guy. And so as I did, the, all of the partners basically just kind of went away because they didn't, they couldn't, they didn't want to hack it as a, as a bootstrapping entrepreneur. And so the project was left to me. Um, and then we, so with another group I found, I was buying uh, uh, gold and silver from a guy and, and found out he was a pretty good engineer. And we together took that old design and made it even better and then got a patent on it. So I, I technically am an inventor. I'm listed as the inventor of the dynamic wind turbine, dynamic with a Q. Um, and so I'm, I am the inventor of that, if you look up the patent. But I am not an engineer, but, I, but again, I can envision. So my strength is, is, is the vision. So then I surrounded myself with good, smart engineer, engineering people that, that come up with that. So again, it's really just about focusing on your strengths. And you know, now I can talk the talk. I know the numbers. I, I didn't know much about electrical engineering. I didn't know much about it. So I delved into it, learned it, and decided that I need to be able to talk enough to where when you get to a certain point in conversation, I say, you know, that's a better question for my chief technical officer, Braden, or, you know, this, I did, you, you, you float that on over to them when it gets to a certain point, but I can be able to talk that talk. So there is a level of expertise you have to gain, but <laughs> I don't have the mind for engineering. I just, I can envision it. There are a couple of products I have in my head right now. I was just talking with, with uh, my partner yesterday about it. There are a couple of products in my head that two people have said, that's impossible. Even though I know in my head it's possible mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let that die. If, if, if I hear that's impossible, but I know there's some way we can do it. I know we can get it done and it's not impossible. It's impossible according to the way that they see it. And they're an engineer and they're a systems person. It's impossible in their system brain, but I'm a creative person and I'll come up with a way that, that it's, that it is. And so again, focus on your strengths because as you do, they'll be amplified. And that's, that's how I got into it. Yeah. And uh, so now we, now we have one of the most efficient small wind turbines on the market and it's, it's amazing. And sometimes a, a systems oriented person, like we were talking about with, uh, with the ability to sort of uh, grind and make money without a, a, a sort of broader vision, it's, it's about the ability to succeed within the context and framework of order. And it is another person's job to look outside of that order to, 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 to explore what's in the chaos. And so like, and you know, like you said, anybody can be an entrepreneur, you know, whatever temperament you have, but I think someone with our mindset, the task is to, you know, understand why that system is there and what it's intended to do, but then to look outside of it and, and see what's possible and prospect and explore. And so the more that you're, the more that you're like the, the way that you vetted this idea um, in the first place. And, and I've done this, you know, a million times just without even thinking about it, but the way a person like you or me vets a technical idea is we just vet the people who vet the idea. Like you just yeah. find somebody you trust and, and that's your, your stepping stone. It's entirely a social exploration. Um, and then, you know, and then once you've, once you know, like, okay, this thing works and now I have to sell it then you learn what you need to learn to, to make the pitch. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that concept of social exploration is really interesting to me. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I've never heard it worded that way. I like that. You're right. I, I, you and I have got to push the boundaries 
but then we've got to have people that can do the do i don't want to say dirty work that's not the correct terminology but it's they, they've got to do the you know i can i can dream all day long and say this but if it's against the the physical properties of nature you know then you can't do it like <laughs> yeah because I, I know people you're, you're gonna go find things out in the ether and yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna have no idea independently whether they're good or not and you have to you have to be able to bring them back into the system of order and have the order people look at it and 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 they'll That's say right. you know this can be incorporated into the system or no it can't and, and you have to decide uh do i believe you that it can't or can you know, and then, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of your intellectual task. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's what I've done with this company. So tell me a little bit about what's different about this technology. Um, well, yeah. So what, what it's done is, is wind and solar are, are awesome uh, sources of energy that can really be, but, but I think they've been mishandled. They've tried to scale them up too high and too fast. And they've tried to use them in applications like, on-demand massive power, which they can't do. They're not made to do that. And so the wind specifically for me was interesting because those big wind, old wind turbines are using the same ideas and technologies, albeit refined, but they've been using it since the you know 1600s where, where in Holland, where they <clears throat> drained the Netherlands out of, got all the water out of there using wind, you know? Right. And, and they really haven't tried to upgrade. They've, you know, they've made different materials. They've, they've used some design but they haven't really thought what are the major problems and some of the major problems with with uh wind power um is that they have they have to get too much wind in order to start producing power then if you get too much wind they'll break and they explode there's some great on my website i put a video of uh of exploding wind turbines because the you know the the blades have to flex in a in a 50 mile an hour wind and if they don't break them and if they don't put a brake on them and slow them down, they'll, they'll bend and then clip the tower and explode. And it's kind of amazing. And so they have some of these, these major problems and nobody thought maybe we shouldn't have scaled up so high. Maybe we should keep wind smaller, decentralize smaller groups like households or small businesses off the grid, keep the fossil fuels for the big manufacturing plants, the hospitals, the things that need power when you need power, which is what fossil fuels so brilliantly do. And then take the, take the wind and do that. So what we did is we took an old, the old ideas that hadn't adapted and fixed as many of the problems as we could. We cannot fix the problem of creating wind because it would create power. It would take power to create the wind to create the power. So that we can't solve that one. But what we can do is become as efficient as possible with the wind that we have in order to um, solve the problems that wind has. And so that's where we've innovated. And that's why we were able to get a full patent on it because we took uh, existing principles of, of lift, of um, creating a vortex inside of a scoop and then having it turn a, a small wind turbine so that our cut-in speed, which is the speed defined at which you have producible power is less than half of what a traditional wind turbine is. So we're at like under four miles an hour for a cut-in speed. And then on the other end of it, because we're not, we don't have propellers and we're, our, our machine is made of steel and, and it kind of self-regulates. We can, it's engineered to be able to handle 150 mile an hour winds. So if we can put our wind on, we're right now, we're working in the Virgin Islands and in Puerto Rico so that when the hurricanes come in and wipe out their power, we, our little wind turbine is made to handle that and continue to produce power throughout it. So we're just trying to really, part of an entrepreneurial idea is what is a problem that the world has 
what is that problem and how can I solve that in a cost-effective, amazing way? And that's yeah. what we did is we tried to take the old technology, fix it, and then see the power problems that people have and adapt our technology to Yeah, and like not, not to um, own the libs here, but I think that there's an ideological component to this. And I, and I want to talk about kind of how you're marketing this differently uh, in, in, a, in a little bit. But ideologically, they, their framework for how they want to understand almost everything is in terms of enormous scale. And it's, mm -hmm. it's global. It's we want to hook everything up to this hyper efficient, you know, universal centralized grid. We want to make centralized economic decisions. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's almost the divide. Uh, the political divide now is, is it's not so much about exactly economics. It's not so much about exactly culture. It's, it's almost about centralization versus decentralization. And so I wonder if the, the idea of making people energy independent just would not have occurred to people within that system. And so maybe it took somebody with a little bit of a different ideological persuasion to spot this idea. I, I definitely believe my libertarian streak that was, that was um, ingrained into me from when I was a kid from my father. My father was just a brilliant ind independent libertarian thinking mind. And it definitely dawned on me that, that and what you're saying is exactly correct. Um, they, they tried to take solar and make it into this gigantic behemoth and, and do what they did with the other power. And it just makes no sense to do so. There's a story that, that when Tesla was coming up with his, you know, he and, he and Edison were fighting about ACDC versus just DC. And Tesla had come up with a way to put a little box on people's houses and they could have power free for the rest of their lives. And he had come up with this way to decentralize, just like you're talking about, decentralized power so that people were independent. And he brought it, he needed funding for it. And he went to JP Morgan and Morgan looked at it, loved it. And, and the, the urban legend that maybe, it, maybe it's real, I've, I've read it several times, is that Morgan said, well, where's the meter? <laughs> and Tesla said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, can you put a meter on it to build them? And he said, no, this is to give it. And he said, sorry. So he went to Edison, Edison put a meter on it, and that's why we pay for power. <laughs> and so, so what we're trying to do is that Tesla idea, Nikola Tesla, I, not Tesla, even though know, I drive a Tesla, I love Tesla, but Nikola Tesla, that idea of um, decentralizing from the grid, realizing that the larger scale stuff the renewables right now are not made for those. And I don't yeah. think they ever were, but solar and wind can power a house. And if you don't have either one of those at a time, then we've also branched out into fossil fuel generators that can run for a little bit. And it, it brings that independence that I, I truly believe that every human needs and craves, even though they run into collectivization so many times just out of fear. And they're afraid to be out on their own. It's, again, it's that step in the chaos. I think there's so many people that are afraid of chaos. And they don't realize that that's where progress comes. Yeah. And so ideologically, it is. It's decentralized from the grid on your home or small business. And even though we have large projects and we have huge projects going in Africa and, and Virgin Islands and, and West Virginia, a couple of these other places that are, that are large and, and, and handle that. We, we do focus a lot of our stuff on just decentralizing energy independence as a mantra of ours. That's, that's one of the three things that we offer to our clients, lower yeah. your power bills, 
um, decentralized from the grid so that you have energy reliability and energy independence. Yeah. And, and there's a, tell, tell me a little bit about how you're marketing this product differently uh, as you, as you approach sort of, I mean, I'm sure your customers, you know, some of them are, are sort of prepper minded or homestead minded. Yeah. Yeah. How does how does your branding or your marketing change as you, as you approach those people versus sort of your standard green new deal type of market? Yeah. So, so there is the, and that's a great question. So the, the preppers, it's pretty easy. Do you want energy reliability and do you want to be off the grid and you explain it to them? They already have the idea. They just know how to do it and they don't know if it's possible. Hmm. And then once you show them how it can be possible. And on the second hand, <laughs> part, part of it is, um, how do I explain this? The, the greed of chasing after a giant solar project that is a, a $1.5 billion project versus I'm going to sell a hundred homeowners, a package that gets them off the grid. There are certain people that don't see the value in that lower stuff. And so I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it because like we talked about earlier, I'm fulfilled when people really like my stuff because it really blesses their lives. And because I do it, they're willing to pay me so that I can provide for my family and other people. So I see the value in the smaller stuff in a quantity. And that's where I saw my value. So we have a distributor model. So we went out and signed up some distributors of people and then we teach them to go sell. And then they market in different ways. We also do, I mean, we're on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook, of course, you know, everybody's on that. Um, sure. I'll be, I'll be doing, uh, we've got a YouTube channel. Um, I, I, I heard that, you know, that you, you've arrived in when someone attacks you. And so I had a, I did a video about my wind turbine and then I had this snooty English professor from across the pond do a video takedown of my wind turbine and say this, that, and the other, and there's no way it can produce this. So I took a video of my wind turbine in the wind with a power meter on it and said, you said, this is, isn't possible. Send it to him. And he never answered back, you know, <laughs> but I took that as a compliment that somebody's seeing what I'm doing and disrupting and saying, Hey, we got to fight this. And I thought, well, good. I'm here. That, that means that that's an obstacle I need to go through. That's great. Yeah. So our distributor model gets out there and gets it to, to people. And then social media is huge. I mean, you just, if I put out something, um, you know, I'm going to blast this podcast out. And if I put it out there, I'll have a bunch of people call me about it. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's how our model takes on the world as a, and the other thing that we've tried really hard to do. And I think this has been the biggest fault of solar is solar has, is probably about, um, I would guess it's 80% more expensive than it should or needs to be right now. And the reason is, is because there are so many layers from the manufacturer of the solar panel to the end user of the solar panel hmm. and everybody has to get paid. And so we've tried to keep our distributor model to where we are only two layers away from at the most from the end user. And when we do that, um, we do that with our batteries. So we have whole home battery management systems. We have um, propane or liquid nat or, or natural gas generators. You know, some people need those. We are direct to the manufacturer and then that goes to our distributor who sells to the end user. Mm. And solar, when you get a solar company that comes out and gives you a bid and you're like, holy crap, it's $50,000 from my house. That's because it went from the solar manufacturer to a wholesale group, to a wholesale retail group, to the retail group, to a distributor, to a salesman. 
and mm. they've all made a 10% markup or a 12 or a 15% markup. By the time you get the end user, you've got an 80 to 90% markup. Yeah. So cutting that out has made a huge difference to our clients. Um, and then we, we make the same money as we would as if we sold it to someone else who then five people later got to the end user. Yeah. I saw the video, one of the videos that you posted of this turbine in action and uh, one of the challenges. So, so Tesla, uh, and uh -huh. now we're talking about Elon Musk, Tesla, the, you know, they, they talk okay. a lot about how the problem they solved with, with the, with, with their cars was, you know, the, the, the batteries are longer lasting and they're more powerful and, and all that stuff. And I think that's part of the answer, but I think a huge problem that Elon solved was aesthetics because electric cars Absolutely. up to that point were ugly and he you made bet. a beautiful one. And so I, one of the things that I noticed about this turbine and, and that I was thinking about was like, this is going to be in my yard. My wife has to sign up to have this in my yard. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's this kind of pretty sort of hypnotic little art piece that, um, so, so I wonder, was there a design decision on your part to, to make the thing more attractive or was it, does it look exactly the way it looked sort of when you found it? Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was not, it was part of the reason we were attracted to it was the design because it is hypnotic and, and it's so funny the words you just used i just sent an email the other day to a group and said you don't know how many times we've had a, per, a husband come to us and say i want to do this in our yard and my wife said oh that kind of looks like art and signed off on it it's so funny that you would use those words because we get that all the time, but I don't, I don't think it would be, we designed it with art in mind. It fell to us that way. Okay. Well, that's great. And we I recognized mean... that, but, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a design piece. It does though. It looks like a, it's kind of, they call it a helical design. Yeah. It's kind of like a helix, but it is when, when the wind's blowing constant, it, it's, it is, it's like, it's almost like uh, hypnotic. You just kind of fall asleep watching it. Yeah. Uh, what kind of wind environment do you need to be energy independent with this turbine? Well, the, the two, two things on that is how energy efficient is what we're powering. So if you have an old leaky home that uses older lighting technology and other things, then it's going to require more. So that's an obvious answer, right? So we always kind of do an energy consult and say, hey, look, if you replace your LED lighting into that, you know, you put your LED lighting in so you're not using as much power and this, that, and the other. Um, windows that, that make you not have to use your power. So all of that is a factor, but given that fact, I'll give you a just a few numbers. Um, our wind turbine starts producing power four miles an hour. It's not much, but it's, but it's producible. When you get up to nine, 10 miles an hour of wind uh, for an hour, let's say it has that for an hour, then we produce roughly one and a half to two kilowatts of, of power. Now, the average American home uses 24 to 30 kilowatt hours per day. So it's roughly one to one and a quarter kilowatt hours per hour that an average American home consumes. And so when you look at your wind, if you can, we can just kind of do the math with the table and say, you know, based upon your wind, how much it would produce to help take you off the grid. Mm -hmm. And so we have some clients in Laramie, Wyoming, for example, and the wind blows there just constantly. Right. And she sent us videos of, of 80 mile an hour wind gusts and the thing, little thing just keeps spinning. You know, it's just, it's just so fun to see. 
but so she's when she's got a she's got a pretty constant like 20 mile an hour wind and we're, we're looking at three and a half to four kilowatts in that kind of speed and if you do that 15 hours a day and you're getting three let's say let's just say three kilowatts that's 45 kilowatt hours of power a day that's way more than her home is going to need so mm-hmm. a, a wind environment like that is great now laramie is a is an exception so yeah you just kind of have to look at where you are you know we're only our, our turbines only 13 feet tall uh, 16 at the highest, you know, if you want to bump it up to put it up a little bit. So we're, we're pretty low profile. Um, and, you know, putting it in a non-windy area is like putting solar in, in seaside Oregon. It, it's just not going to do anything because sure. you don't have the wind to push it. So we don't always say that it, we don't always say that a wind turbine is going to work, but if you live in the mountains, for example, and you get the laterals off the side of the mountains, live at a mouth of the Canyon, um, what people forget because solar only produces about six to eight hours a day. Right. And the wind can blow all night. And if it blows all night, then you put it in. Now, and the next concept uh, that, that I would tell you is part of the problem with renewables too, is that people up to this, up to the last few years have not been able to find a, a suitable reservoir for their power and they haven't had good enough batteries for it. So now we've, we've entered into that world of batteries and we've got the best, whole home energy system that you can get in our minds for keeping the power so that if you go a day without wind, you have enough power to power your house mm-hmm. or, or a lot of people don't know if you're net net metered with your solar, if you're, if you bought your solar and it was to offset your bill, well, then if the power goes out, you can't put power back onto a grid that is down that will fry their grid. So they have a they have a knife switch that automatically stops it from putting the power back on the grid. So um, we, we sell batteries to solar people all the time because now they have backup for when the power goes out. And, and if you don't think that happens, go talk to people in Southern California, go talk to people in Texas that <clears throat> over the last year and a half have had rolling blackouts that, you know, those people in Texas that had the Texas freeze. Yeah those were serious issues. So we've, that's a big issue with renewable. And so we've solved that with our, we we call it a dynamic power pack um, where we use the best battery tech you can. And again, we're direct to the manufacturer. We're only one layer away from the end user. Our costs are significantly better than our competition. And, and actually so is our, so is our tech. And so that coupled with the renewables is how we help people become energy independent. Yeah. And not, not to get too like apocalyptic about it, but one of the (laughs) things that I think about a lot is, you know, there, there are a lot of preppers who their mindset is I'm going to buy a hundred thousand rounds of five, five, six. And that's my, (laughs) that's my prep. Right. Yep. And it's like, and it's like, there's a huge array, a huge spectrum of outcomes that are way more likely than the Mad Max scenario in which, in which your hundred thousand rounds is not going to help you. And so um, I I look a lot, I look hard for intermediate options that make varying degrees of decline or collapse more livable. And so, you know, is it, is it likely that like, a Chinese EMP is going to destroy the global power grid and you're going to have to produce power for yourself all the time. Maybe not. Is it likely that it's just sort of as, as things socially and, and politically get worse, we may have problems with regular power where like the beef in your freezer is going to go bad. 
that seems a lot more likely. And so, and so these, these intermediate solutions that can be valuable to you across a, 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 a broader domain of possibilities, that's interesting to me. And this seems like the kind of thing that like, you know, it's, it's useful to me, even if nothing goes wrong, but as things start to go wronger, uh, it becomes more useful. And those seem like really good investments at the present time. I, I completely agree. Let me give you two real world examples that have hit home to me. One is far away. One is right, right. One on one of our clients. First one jump on, I think it was Reuters, um, Germany and a couple of those countries in Europe, powerhouses, first world, very rich countries made this premature jump to renewables and, and set these unrealistic goals to renewables that are just ridiculous for their big stuff, not for their little people to decentralize, but for the big stuff. Sure. And right now, if you look at the article on Reuters that I read yesterday morning, I think it was Reuters, it may not be Reuters, but if you look it up, Germany is buying as much coal from Russia as they can because they don't have the power to not allow old people in their country to freeze to death this winter. Yeah. And so when you think, when, when you think that I'm not laughing at that situation, I'm, I'm laughing at people that think that that can't come to America. That's crazy because yeah. we've got collectivist people running our country and we have for, well, since Woodrow Wilson. And, and we, so, so for over a hundred years, we've had people that have had the socialist collectivist mindset to lump people into groups and they just don't see individuals and, and individual freedom and sovereignty as anything important. And they'll take that away. And energy independence is one way that they can take that away. And so that, that's a big thing. Now, you just literally said, you know, beef in the freezer. Right now, we just bid out for a client of ours who lost $10,000 of elk, meat, and beef in his freezers because of a home, he, a cabin he had where they just shut the power for no reason. And he lost $10,000 of meat. Wow. He's, he's sick of that. So now he's building a battery system we're building for his, his home. So that will never happen again. And we'll just put a little bit of solar on it. And we can actually tell it to say, Hey, look, if the power goes out, um, shut down the air conditioning, shut down everything, but leave the freezer on and leave this on and leave this on. And then he'll never have that happening again. And so I agree with you the Mad Max scenario to me, the, the Mad Max scenario is not, is not on my radar, but when you see rolling blackouts in Southern California, and you have old people that are on oxygen and now they don't have power. Right. Or you see uh, the blackouts in Texas because of one little thing and people have a, a $17,000 power bill and all they needed was a 20 kilowatt battery system to get them through that demand charge. Yeah. People are waking up. I mean, it's, it's hitting people real fast. And, and that's why we're, we're, we found that problem and entrepreneurially we're solving that problem. So that's, that's, I'm right on track with you of, <laughs> the five, five, six. Yeah, that's great. Right. I mean, of course I lost all my guns in a boating accident, but, sure. um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, the five, five, six stuff is important, but you know, what? so I was going to say this, and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but I read a, a report of a guy that was in, uh, I think it was Bosnia back in the early nineties when they had that civil war <clears throat> and they were without utilities for two years. And he yeah. wrote a report of what, what were the most valuable commodities and it had nothing to do with ammo, had nothing to do. It was lighters so that they could build a fire because they were cold. Um, of course, in Europe, everybody smokes and drinks. So they had cigarettes and tobacco and, and uh, alcohol. But then it was just the little things like that, like lighters and, and even um, hygiene products like tampons and deodorant, things like that. 
Yeah. He said, if you had a bunch of lighters, you would have been a millionaire. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah, it's, it's not the things you expect. It's the things you don't think about that, that will get you. And that's why we're trying to make energy independence an afterthought. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I mean, <laughs> as things decline, yeah, there, there's so much, there's so much uh, sort of creature comforts that, uh, that go into our lives that we're not even thinking about. And, and, and yeah, to, to be prepared on that level is, is, is super important. Um, so how do you get these systems built? Do you have a factory? And then like for the installation, do you contract out to a local concrete guy to lay it down or how does that work? Yeah. So the distributor model, we, we expect our distributors to help with all of that because we, we are um, basically a manufacturer and equipment provider. So sourcing the equipment uh, with batteries and others, we have our sources of the direct to the manufacturers. Um, we've vetted them, we've bought from them, we've used their machines, we know what they are. And that's for the batteries and the generators. The uh, wind turbines, so, so let, me, let me go back, let me make a comment about the batteries and generators. Batteries, unfortunately, because the best batteries now are, are have lithium in them. And unfortunately, China controls 90% of the world's lithium. It is a fact, it's nothing you can get away from. So that's that's where those are sourced, they have to be. And anybody that says that their batteries are lithium and they're made in the USA are either lying or ignorant. They don't, they've brought them here and put two wires together and said made in the USA, but they came from the source there. <coughs> Same with generators. Generators are basically made there, Kohler and Cummins and all those big boys, they, they get them made in China and then they assemble them here, so. Now the wind turbine is a different story. The wind turbine is manufactured here in Utah um, and it, it's just steel. It's, uh, I think it's 11 gauge steel. I think that was the last determination. Um, and so we make it in a steel manufacturing group here in um, Pleasant Grove, Utah and it can be shipped anywhere. And then it's a relatively easy setup. And then the cement pad is just a local contractor that does it. Electrician, it's pretty simple electrician. It comes off of uh, the power that comes off of the turbine. We have a, um, an alternator generator at the bottom of it and it spits off power in, in AC. And that just, you know, you just pump that into a, a battery where it has to be inverted to charge batteries or if you go in the house, you don't have to invert it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just done on a, on a local level. So we're trying to keep as much of the work here uh, around us. And then the local people can know the grid and know the, um, local codes and everything like that. We just allow them to deal with that. Got it. Um, I wanted to ask you also about, uh, you, you mentioned replacing your LEDs and, and wiring things up so that things shut down in the proper order. I have often thought I would love to have a lot of the smart home tech that could make my home more energy efficient or uh, you know, allow me to monitor things, allow me to, 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 to change things from my phone, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that through Amazon or Google. I don't, I don't trust them. And right. I wonder if you've looked into exploring that space from like a decentralized, maybe even using blockchain where, where the, the, the customer's right to manage their home is not beholden to a corporate interest. I, I just, I think, I think that there's a lot of potentially like you're, you're courting sort of the same market of, of people who, who want to take advantage of, of the, the technical uh, capabilities of what's out there, but they don't want to participate in sort of the, the bigger sort of ideological projects. Is that something you've looked at at all? 
Yes, but as you say it, blockchain is one that has not hit my head and you just triggered it. And um, I think we just found a way to work together. <laughs> <laughs> um, blockchain is, I mean, I'm, a, a, I'm heavily involved in crypto and everything. Um, Amazon and Google, definitely we stay away from. Uh, yeah. There's, <laughs> but, but even then you say that, but then every, where do you get your internet? I mean, sure. most people's internet is, is through a major supplier of some sort. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know if you can stay away from them completely. But boy, if we could come up with a blockchain. So I do know that we have, technologically, we have moved into all of our products. We try to stay on that, that edge where they have it. So for example, our inverter has an app on your phone so that you can actually control your whole home or see your whole home power output and consumption on your phone. Um, and then the smart home stuff, usually it's usually fairly open source because if you go with Amazon or Google, then they do fully control you. And I do have a couple of people working on um, monitoring and observational, but um, blockchain stuff, that's intriguing. Maybe uh, maybe that's something we need to talk about offline. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, <laughs> that, you know, that's going to touch so many things, so many things that people want. They want to coordinate. They want to have, you know, access to bigger resources than it's efficient to provide for them individually. Um, but they don't want to be monitored and they don't want to be in a panopticon and yeah, blockchain makes those kinds of arrangements possible where, you know, you're, you're providing this visibility into their system without you having visibility into that system. uh, If that makes sense. For sure. I I was actually listening to a podcast just yesterday talking about setting up uh you know leaving the current http internet as the corporate internet and then having your private internet be some sort of a blockchain type you know private private internet that, that isn't the corporate one it's the private one and, and uh, yeah. boy if we could tap into that i'd be not only ideologically but also just ease of use and and privacy those are those are huge things to me i mean those yeah. are those are you know, that's, that's part of, part of, we set up uh, to be able to be paid in Bitcoin if people want to pay us for these things, because I just don't, I mean, from a, from the time I was born, my dad taught me and, and brought me up that, that individual sovereignty and liberty and privacy are among the most important things in our lives. And the people yeah. that want to take them away from you are the ones that want to control you. And so, you know, if we can, if we can develop stuff that does it and does it legally and does it responsibly, heck yeah, man, that's absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's a really exciting time. You know, there's lots of, there's lots of risk and lots of worry. Um, but there's also really cool things coming out. And, and I, and I think, um, I think there's reason to be optimistic. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I'm so glad that you came. Johnny is the CEO of Ventana Tech. Check them out at VentanaTech.com. If you're interested in what we do here at Exit, look us up at ExitGroup.us. We are helping people to get out of the corporate environment, make themselves independent, and we'd love to see you in the group. So thanks a lot, Johnny. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's been a a fun time. (music) 